It's always a joy and a privilege uh, to be together. Uh, thank you, Matt and worship team, for leading us and Lori blessing us with special music. I'm so grateful for the many. I think of the guys back in the sound room and people that work behind the scenes. There's so many people that on a regular basis contribute and are serving the Lord together at Big Woods. That's what makes us a body. Every part is important. We looked this morning at a subject that before we pray, I just want to remind you, it really, it, it is a very personal subject. It demands great sensitivity and tenderness because it really talks about how we are to speak into the lives. According to what we see in Scripture, um, the direction of how and why and, and the reason that we are to literally speak into the lives, um, seeking to restore and encourage brothers and sisters in Christ who are caught in sin. And um, <clears throat> I learn oftentimes visually, and I have this picture in my mind, and it's very sensitive and it's a serious subject, but I, I have um, this memory. And uh, I love games. Some of you know me, and I love taking like a normal game and kind of twisting a little bit and kind of creating a weird new game out of that. And I think I got that from my family, from my dad. He was always doing weird renditions of games. I remember a particular time, and it'll make sense here in a moment, we were actually at a church picnic. And my dad was the guy who was in charge of games. And uh, we were out in this old park, and somehow in the back of the park, there was had been at one point an old home or a barn, and it had literally collapsed in. It was just a massive hole, kind of see the old stone foundations. And it was probably a, a 15-foot deep hole, you know, quite far across. And so my dad decided for, for this Sunday school picnic that we're going to have a, a game of tug-of-war. And um, we're going to stretch the rope across the hole, and, and each team is on either side of the hole. And so the idea is, of course, you know, tug-of-war, pulling. And the idea is, is as you get closer and closer and closer, obviously the other team wins, You let go of the rope and everyone's fine, correct? In theory, that's the idea. There was a guy who was visiting our church just for that picnic. I I had never seen him before. And somehow uh, they put him on the end of the rope. I remember he was on the losing team. And and with this whole tug of war, I remember literally everyone kind of let go. And this older guy, he was actually quite, got pulled into this and dropped into this this chasm, this 15-foot hole, old foundation with stone. And you could literally, and forgive me, but you could hear the leg break, okay? So it's one of those, I know, I won't pause on that. And I, I have this image as he's kind of writhing in pain. And I, you know, my dad, who actually had been trained in, in some emergency medical response, got down into the hole. Of course, he needs help now. And this is what you don't do today. He immediately reset. He took it and just snapped. And he took an old board and he wrapped his belt around it and reset this guy's leg in the bottom of the hole. We're kind of watching like, what is happening here? I know, I know, it's like that story. The interesting part is this, is eventually when he was brought, the the, the ambulance was called, he was brought out of the hole, they took him to the emergency room, they x-rayed his leg. His leg had been perfectly set into place, and all they did was recast it. 
And I thought about that. And I thought, man, my dad, like he was cool already. And then he moves into like hero status. But it's this idea that you realize, and that's kind of a old story, but you realize that there are individual lives, people sitting here. At times, we in a sense get caught and we get pulled down in and we suffer damage. God's word this morning, this, this subject, these first two verses of Galatians chapter 6, instruct us very, very carefully, instruct us very clearly how we are to do this, how we are to go down into this hole and help people reset through God's leading, through the work of the Holy Spirit, so that we together are what? Healthy and strong as a body, moving and functioning together. Just a little image that I have in my mind as we pray. Let's, let's bow our heads. We're going to ask for God's help as we learn, and we'll get into the subject of how to reset a broken bone in the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you, we acknowledge and we understand that this subject is of great sensitivity. It's, it's, it's an important subject that we need to handle with great care. And Lord, we ask for wisdom as we seek to do that. Father, I, I would pray that first and foremost you guard any one of us from having a critical, a, a judgmental, or a proud look that we, Lord, would understand that every single one of us, any one of us, can be caught. At times, all of us, we've been caught in sin. Father, help us, Lord, to understand, learn what it means to be a body of believers who function with you as our head, that we surrender to you, that we submit to you. Lord, I just pray for this body that we would remain healthy and strong, that we would understand our role and our calling in this community to to present and to shout from the rooftops the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ as we live in a town that is in such need of change, of hope. Father, I would pray for brothers who are preaching at this very moment in this community. We pray, Lord, for um, churches that stand upon the foundational truth of the Word of God. Father, help us now to be attentive. Help us to free our minds from the worries of the past or anticipations or concern of the future. But help us for a few moments, all of us, to hear from you and to learn of you and to grow to be more like you. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Okay, we have spent significant time studying the individual fruits of the Holy Spirit refer to them as the nine. We've also considered last week the specific conditions uh, that these uh, fruits need in order to thrive, in order to grow. We've talked about the fact that what? When one totally surrenders and submits their life to the authority of the Word of God, they are completely obedient to the Spirit of God. We display what? A constant air of repentance and a constant, what, reaching toward holiness every day. Lord, help us to be more and more like you. Now today, as we transition from the end of chapter 5 into chapter 6, we're going to take the focus off of our own lives, and we're going to learn together why we are to care, why we're to be concerned and also how we are to care and how we are to be concerned for the lives of other people in the body of Christ. 
General William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And years ago, he was planning to be the keynote speaker at their international convention. At the very last moment, he, he grew gravely ill, was unable to go to speak at the convention. So this is before the time of cell phone and texting. So he actually wired or telegraphed a message that was one words in length. He couldn't be there. And so in his stead, he, he, he wired on one words. And the word was others. Others. We could take all of Galatians chapter 6 and we could literally summarize it with one word and it is that same word, others. Okay, it's been a while since I know we've been in this series for the fruits of the Spirit, kind of getting the big picture to the book of Galatians. The Apostle Paul is the author and he is deeply engaged in this heated battle with the Judaizers. We've talked about them. They're very easy to identify these kind of, of people. They wore blue tights and red capes, okay? And they had a big gold letter S on their chest. Why? Because they were super Christians, or so they thought. They were super spiritual. They could leap tall buildings in a single bounds. On the outside, they look like many of you and I seek to look. We have our lives completely in order. Look at me at any moment, and hopefully we don't have little things stuck in our teeth when we're standing up in front of other people. Everything looks good. But what was happening on the outside, it looked fine, but on the inside, they were cold and dead towards the things of Christ. Specifically, they were what? Pushing Old Testament law over New Testament grace. They were pushing works over faith. Same idea is that there was this spread, this cancerous spread of legalism, not only in Galatia in the first century, but there still today tends to be a spread of cancerous legalism in America in the 21st century. So what do we do with this? We are reminded first and foremost what the entire theme of Galatians chapter of Galatians is found in chapter 3 verse 13 Christ has redeemed us or rescued us from the curse of the law chapter 5 verse 1 Christ has set us free stand firm in that so we think about our spiritual growth we think about our spiritual walks it's not as much concern on outward appearance as it is on our inward hearts Whenever we take the focus off of Christ and put it on ourselves, whenever we take the focus off of faith and put it on works, off of the invisible and put it on the visible, then you've got problems. You've got problems within the body of, of, of the local church. We have a sense of division that, that erupts. We have destruction. It's dangerous. So Paul admonishes the entire theme of this book with taking a focus off of what you are doing and putting a focus on who you are in Christ and in Christ alone. We have this, this, this theme throughout, broaden it from Galatians to, to, to the Word of God, to the New Testament. One another is a constant. Um, matter of fact, if you were to just take the term love one another, that's how we're characterized as believers. It's used more than 12 times in the New Testament alone. Love one another, love one another, love one another. You hear something that, in, that, that many times, it's got to be important. 
You can look at other themes, okay? It says in James 5, pray for one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, comfort one another, edify one another. Romans 12 says, be kind to one another. Galatians 5 says, serve one another. 1 Peter 4 says, be hospitable to one another. Today, we're going to look at bear one another's burdens. Somebody has a weight, they're dragging around, you have a responsibility, not, well, I would, I, I, I might jump in and help them. That's not what we're talking about. This is a command where someone has a burden, we have a responsibility to bear one another's burdens. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, here it is. Here's our text for this morning. Brothers, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now you know that as Paul has been acknowledging and addressing the false doctrine of of the Judaizers, he's been talking about the fact why it's not about religion, it's about relationships. He has been very strong in his language. You could almost say that he has been direct, confrontational, and forceful. Now, you can only hear someone being forceful for so long, and it just wears on you. What what does a good communicator do? Paul is a phenomenal communicator, and in order to stay effective, he adjusts his tone. What does he do at, at occasions? He softens and he lowers His voice. And rather than do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, he actually what? He speaks with a sense of ease and he leans in and he tells his audience something with a completely different approach. Now think about a a father. If a father is always firm, okay, he's going to lose the opportunity to speak into the lives of his children. At times a, a father has got to dial it back and be loving and be gentle. Think about a coach. They can only be crass. They can only be cool for so long. And what happens at some point, if you're going to get through to the athlete, to the student, you're going to have to to dial it back a little bit. You're going to have to be calm to speak with him or her. Think about a teacher. A teacher can be tough for so long. And then what happens? They have to change their tone. Miss Holmans, I remember her from fifth grade. And I was warned before I got into fifth grade, this gal's tough. She's tough. First day of school, she has her hair. It's like long, dark hair, and it's pulled back really, really tight. It's pulled back so tight, her eyes are actually like pulled like that. And I was like, oh, no. And she was the single meanest woman I had ever met in, the, in, in my entire life. And I'm not, I'm not joking about it. Sit down. Like, I'm just standing here. Sit down. The first day, she was a monster. Second day, third day. Over a period of time, weeks and months, she softened. She actually did this by design. She knew what she was doing. You didn't mess with Miss Holman's at all. And by the end of that year, believe it or not, to this day, she remains my number one favorite teacher of all 
time, she was amazing. Why? Because she knew she could be tough, but she also knew how to adjust her tone. And she loved you. And you knew that. That's what Paul's doing right here. Paul's approach, what, is some of the most practical instruction of the entire book of Galatians right here in chapter 6. He talks about why we are to care, and equally as important, how we are to care for other people. Legalists are never concerned, okay? They're only concerned about themselves. They're never concerned about other people. So Paul says, well, how do we do this? How do we bear one another's burdens? How do we carry this weight? He begins with presenting a hypothetical case. Here's the case. Note the wording, if, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, Sabi, although it's a hypothetical case, it's a hypothetical that is not that uncommon. Which means what? There's many people who get caught in transgression. Now, another translation reads like this. If a man is overtaken in any trespass. So take this word caught. Take this word overtaken. It carries with it the idea of being caught off guard or being surprised. Okay? Now, there's a couple of different surprises that we have in our life. One of them is what? Jumping out of the closet, okay, when your kids are little, Boo! Okay? And the kids get scared. (gasps) Do it again, Daddy. Do it again. There's that type of surprise. Okay? That's kind of fun. This is not the type of surprise that we're talking about in this context. This is the type of surprise that you don't want to get. It's It's that caught, unexpected, in a moment of absolute horror. Driving through an intersection and you look to the left and you realize, what, somebody's just run a red light. And in half a second, everything just comes crashing into disaster and destruction. And it's, it's terrifying. It's that sucker punch on the side of the face when no one is expecting it. And you're shocked and horrified by it. Satan loves the subtle tactic of a surprise approach. It's dangerous. And it can look so enticing. And as soon as you reach for it, remember remember Edmund with the Turkish delight in the Chronicles of Narnia? Remember the, the white witch offered, you can have all of it that you would ever, as soon as he took it. It's this sense of shock. It's this sense of horror. What has just happened? Satan loves the element of surprise. Why? Because it oftentimes is the most effective. Rarely does a true believer, the Lord Jesus Christ, ever plan, okay, at this point, I'm now going to walk away from the Lord. I'm going to abandon my faith. I'm going to walk away from the commitment to love directed toward my family. And I'm going to be unfaithful. It it doesn't happen like that. It happens when? You know. I know. In times of weakness, times of frustration, times of exhaustion, times of congestion or busyness, Satan 
is is described by the apostle Peter as a roaring lion. He is like a roaring lion who is on the hunt, on the prowl, pouncing what? When does a a, a, does a, a lion announce his presence? No, he sneaks and he pounces when you least expect it. So the matter at hand, the, the question at hand is this. When one is overtaken and you are now made aware of another person who has, in a sense, been caught or trapped or enticed, who falls into sin, what do you do? You have been made aware that someone within the context of your brother and sister, your family, has been caught in sin. What do you do? Pick up the phone and say, guess what I just saw? Yeah, they were smoking behind a bus. Sadly, that's oftentimes what, what the first response is. We text someone and say, do, do you know what I just witnessed? Yeah, I heard that she had an argument with her husband and she left. What is the first thing that you do when you are confronted with someone who has been caught in sin? What I find, creatures of extreme, we do usually one of two things. We overemphasize the sin. We, we make it explode. We tell everyone about it. You wouldn't believe. Or else we do the opposite where we overlook the sin. Well, you know them. We're all kind of, you know, we're all struggling through life. And, 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 and Paul talks about the fact the one who is spirit-led, the one who is spirit-controlled, does neither of those things. We don't overemphasize the sin, nor do we overlook the sin. So, so what are we supposed to do? How do we restore a brother or sister who has fallen into sin? How do we reset a broken bone? Number one, we do this with great care. With great care. If anyone is caught, you who are spiritual should restore them in, spiritual, in, in, in a sense of, of gentleness. Please know what I refer to as a qualifying condition. Okay, it says what? Who is to do this? You who are spiritual. So immediately, rather than pointing fingers, the first thing that we do is we examine our own life. It says very clearly, you who are spiritual. How could we define it? You who are led by the Spirit. Well, we've been talking for, what, three months on what it means to be led by the Spirit. There's the evidence of what? Love, joy, peace, gentleness. The first thing that we do, if we ever see anyone, if we ever hear of anything, is we immediately examine our own life. If we are completely led by the Spirit in every single area, and it is evidenced, okay, then we proceed. If not, you're not the one to go ahead and tackle the situation. Now, does this mean that you have to be perfect? No. None of us are ever going to be perfect. I love how the Lord Jesus Christ teaches, gives instruction very, very clearly in Matthew chapter 7. Take the log out of your own eye so you can see clearly before you take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, so what, what is the instruction here? We're made aware of something that is horrible, that is devastating. Before we, what, race to the rescue, we jump down in the hole, we have to look at our own lives. 
We have to make sure that if there's something in our life that has to be removed, don't go looking for the speck of dust until you remove the beam that exists in your own eye. So if you are made aware of this, you are what? You, you have been given something that, I hate to use that term, but you've been given a sense of power over that person. You've been given a, a sense of power. You can humiliate them. You can, what, tell others and embarrass them. You can demean them. You can actually disgrace them. Or you also have been given a power, I believe, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, what, to help offer healing. You you have the ability to be the first one in that triage, in a sense, to, to come down into that hole, writhing in pain and agony, and assist them. You have the power, I believe, through God's Word and the Spirit of God to assist in what? Seeking in step one to restore them back to fellowship. Now, if you remember, we spent a lot of time on the fruits of the Spirit. We talked about when a person is completely led by the Spirit of God, they display one of the fruits is what? Prayotis. It's gentleness or meekness. What is that? It's having power, but it's having that power brought under control. So when you're confronted with something like that, you have the power to forgive and you have the power to seek to restore them. And in doing that, what does it say in the latter part of verse 2? If you do that, so fulfill the law of Christ. Realize when we, when we have this power, this meekness, this gentleness brought under control, we have one intent. And that is to, 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 to come alongside those who are hurting We fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law of love, which fulfills all the rest of God's law. We know that ultimately Christ sought to rescue people. He did not come here to point fingers and to condemn. He came to to redeem. He came to restore people. So what is your job? You point people to Christ. You show others. This is how Christ would speak. This is what Christ would say. It's the most powerful, it's the most impactful time when individuals are hurting or reeling or having been caught in sin for another brother or sister to come alongside of them and in a loving and a gentle way seek to speak into their lives with love. Paul is saying in this hypothetical situation how people treat other people. But you can think more specifically, and this is always the importance of why we we spend time in preaching and listening to the Word of God. How do you personally? Let's leave the hypotheticals aside and, and you ask yourself in the quietness of your own heart, allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. How do you handle this, this news? Someone else is going through marriage struggles or they've made poor decisions or they're ensnared and caught, they're trapped in sin. How how do you personally respond to it? We know how the legalists would. We we saw what happened. The Pharisees caught a woman in adultery. What happened? Stone her. Christ stepped in and, and addressed and acknowledged the reality and the presence of sin, but offers forgiveness. Go and sin no more. Remember the Pharisees, when they thought that Paul was defiling the the temple, they arrested him, drug him before a crowd. What's their response? Stone him. Everything, just stone him. That's that's actually the easy way 
just to throw rocks at them and move on to the next. That's not the way that we function. We don't behave like that. Everything changed. Everything changed since Christ stepped in. Everything is handled differently. And that's the message that we offer. Christ comes and he, what, he literally changes lives. We use this term in our vision all the time. What He transforms lives. Do you realize that you, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, can offer that same sense of what hope in the midst of being caught in sin, healing in the midst of what? Dealing with the sickness and the grossness of sinfulness. We understand the hope that is offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of Man, it says, came to seek and to save that which was lost. I love, I love how the parable is told in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus Christ is speaking. And he says this, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And that is such a beautiful picture of what a shepherd's job is, a pastor's job. But what? I'm not alone in this. This is what we do together. Following that, there is some of the most specific instruction. I want you to see this yourself. Matthew chapter 18. This is very important because this deals with the purity and the holiness of the local church and how we are to respond when people are caught or ensnared in sin. Literally, it comes. Jesus is preaching. It comes after this parable of the lost sheep. A guy has a hundred sheep. One of them wanders off. Figuratively speaking, it's a person who wanders off into sin. What does this shepherd do? Well, I got 99 left. No. We go get that one. I want you to understand this because this isn't just my responsibility, gang. This is every single one of our responsibility. Listen to this instruction. Matthew chapter 18, pick it up in verse 15. I'm going to read the whole text here. If your brother sins against you, go. And tell him his faults between you and him alone. Between you and him alone. Key. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you that whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We see clear instruction here on how we are to function as a body of believers. This text, Matthew chapter 18, is referred to as a text that teaches us about the importance of church discipline. Whoa, that's just a frightening term. But it's a necessary term. And this is the way that we pursue holiness. It goes back to the fact that some people literally have been caught in sin and they are writhing in pain. And the word is what we seek to restore 
catartizo, catartizo. We, we seek to, to reset with great strength and yet great gentleness that broken bone. The sinning believer literally is a part of the body that is not functioning in the way that God has designed for them to function. And so with great care, we examine our own lives and we seek to go down and to assist them. What do we do? We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The question is this, can, can you and would you be willing to do that? I learned this, I learned this lesson in a way that I will never forget it. And I'm ashamed even for the way that, that, that it, it unfurled or transpired. My very first pastorate years ago, 1995, and, and there was a precious woman in our church. She was actually on the search committee that brought me to that church. She was a, a faithful mom and wife, a Sunday school teacher. And she got caught in sin. And she, she was engaged in a lifestyle that was completely against what God would desire for her to do and who God would desire for her to be. And I remember that she was with great embarrassment knowing that she was a member of this local church. And so she came to me and she said, I, I, I'm not living the way that I should be. And so I'm going to ask that membership be removed from the church. Well, I was young and I talked to other pastors. I said, what do you do in this situation? They said, well, we've never faced it before. You've never faced a church discipline issue ever? Well, we've never faced it. I remember I handled it wrong. You know what I did? Met with our elders and we let her go. Oh, you want to remove your membership? Okay, your membership's removed. Go. That is the worst thing. That is the worst thing that we could ever do as a local church. Almost 10 years went by. Almost 10 years went by. And she fell. She lost her family. She lost her husband. I remember many years later, by God's grace alone, he worked in her life and brought her to the end of herself. And she recognized her sinfulness and destruction. And I met with her. And she said, you let me go. You shouldn't have let me go. You should have been there. You should have come to me, come to me repeatedly, come to me over and over and over again. And I have since that time realized that there's no wiggle room when it comes to Scripture. Scripture is very clear on it. You go to them. Yeah, but we don't want to be offensive or we don't want to be judgmental. No, God calls us to live holy lives and He calls us to be in this together. And so I know that from that moment onwards, regardless of how hard it is, it's the right thing to do. Secondly, quickly in closing, how else do we restore? We do this with great caution. Keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. So we know that as we enter that situation, as we enter that, that place, we have to be very careful with safeguards, with parameters, with accountability that you have around you. Paul makes a very final note. Another translation, he says, consider yourself. He uses a more blunt term in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Take heed lest you fall. 
Okay, just because someone else fell into sin doesn't mean that you're beyond falling into sin. And so as we seek to go to them, to love them, to restore them back into fellowship, we have to be very careful. I mean, the very very presence of pride enters in. I'm here to rescue you, poor sinner. No, that's wrong. That's sinfulness. We can get pulled into that trap. Satan delights when one person is unfaithful, when one person breaks their marriage veil. Satan delights when one person, what, is caught in pride or deceit or lust or whatever it is. And, and he delights even more when two people. And so we have to be that careful. Be wise, be careful, be humble, be cautious, be spirit-led. And we understand the important role that God has given to us. Difficult subject, but an important subject when it comes to us being a healthy body and a body that is committed to following all of Scripture, not just some of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that, that guides us and teaches us with how we move through life. We pray, Lord, for one another regularly that we would, we would keep our eyes on you. We would not be trapped by sin. We would not fall into sin. But Father, if that does happen, help us, Lord, to respond according to your word, not our own thinking, our own ideas. Help us to be obedient. Help us to display gentleness and humility, just like the Lord Jesus Christ displayed gentleness and, and grace and meekness and patience with us. Thank you for your word. We love you and we love the opportunity to learn together. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand with us, please, as we close.